Praise the Lord. Are you glad the Comforter has come? I am thankful that the Holy Ghost is a comfort to us. And Jesus said he'd never leave us or forsake us. And he's here with us today. I wonder if we could just lift up our hands and worship the Lord for a moment. Could we do that, Lord? We love you today. We need your touch on this Bible study, on our services today. I pray you'd pour out the Holy Ghost in a, in a powerful way, God. I pray that we'd be sensitive to your spirit, God. And I pray that we would not quench the spirit with anything that we say or do and that our praise would be lifted up. Amen. Did you come to praise the Lord today? Amen. Clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise. Look at your neighbor and say, it's Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is an experience. It's not just a doctrine. It's an experience. We're apostolic in doctrine. We're Pentecostal in experience. And, uh, and I'm glad that we serve a God that we can feel. The old timers used to say, I, I wouldn't want to serve a God that I couldn't feel once in a while. And we can feel the presence of the Lord. Have you ever felt the presence of the Lord? It's a wonderful thing. And I'm, I'm thankful that I can, I can come to church and feel the presence of the Lord. I can, I can go home and feel the presence of the Lord because he's always with us. Well, we're going to pick up our lesson and we're going we're gonna to finish it up this Sunday. Uh, I, I was joking with someone this morning. Uh, this, uh, it's only 10 commandments that we're talking about. It feels like 24 or 30 of them by the time we get done in a series. But we're talking about the 10 commandments. Everyone said the 10 commandments. And uh, one of the reasons that I feel uh, a push in my spirit to come back to this subject once in a while is uh, I'll, I'll, I'll regularly see an article about how even here in the United States there's a push to remove the Ten Commandments from public spaces, to remove the Ten Commandments from our schools, uh, to remove them from landmarks. And that's tragic because more than ever, more than ever, we ought to be listening to, remembering, and heeding the Ten Commandments. They're still relevant to our lives. And uh, we need every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And, uh, and so we need the Ten Commandments, and they're still relevant today. And we're going to pick back up on number four, quick review. Uh, last week we talked about the Sabbath day, commandment number four is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 9, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth and sea, and all that in them is, and rested, everyone said rested, we just sang about how the Holy Ghost is the comforter, and we can come into the presence of God on a holy day, and we can find rest in the presence of the Lord. And God rested on the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. Look at your neighbor and say, he blessed it, and he hallowed it, he made it holy. And so we see that in the very beginning of time, at the beginning of creation, when God had flung the stars into space and poured out the oceans and carved out the mountains and, and, uh, and God had created all the plant life and the ecosystem 
And God had put it all together by his spoken word. All of this happened on, in six days. And on the seventh day, God rested. Now, how many understand that God is omnipotent? He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. God is not a man that he would grow tired. God was not weakened when he created the world. God was not exhausted when he created the world. God was not running low on energy. God didn't need a Red Bull. He didn't need a five-hour energy drink. God is God. God rested on the seventh day as an example to me and to you. How many understand that? God didn't rest because he needed to rest. God rested so that we would look at his word and say, God has given us an example that we should set apart a day and consecrate it unto God, make it holy unto God, set it apart. That's what holiness is, is to be set apart. That's why the Bible says that the church is to be a called out people. We're a set apart people. That means we're separated from the world. And part of our holiness, it's not just about the way we dress or the way we talk or, or even about our inward state, but an extension of our holiness is that we take a day and we set apart Sunday and we make it holy unto God and we rest in the presence of the Lord. And when we say rest, we don't just mean that we sleep in. Amen? I don't sleep in on Sundays, but I rest on Sundays. You know how I rest? I rest spiritually. I rest in the presence of God. I rest in the preaching of the word. I rest underneath the wings of the anointing. There is no rest that will refresh you like spiritual rest. There's a lot of people that covet their sleep. And, and if I can just get an extra hour, if I can just get a little more, you know, a little, a little more time just doing what I want to do. And they think that's rest. But there, you can refresh your body. But if your spirit is dying, then you're exhausted spiritually. You need to get yourself into the house of God on Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Be faithful to the house of God. Set it apart. Consecrate it. Make it holy and say, I am going to rest in the presence of the Lord. And if your soul is rested, it affects your physical man as well. We talked about this last week, but your physical man and your spiritual man are tied together. You're one person, but you're separated. You're also a spirit man. You have a soul and you have a physical body. And if your, if your spiritual man is malnourished and underrested, then you have a problem in your life. Take care of the spirit man first. Can I get a praise the Lord? You ought to take care of the spirit man. Rest in the presence of the Lord. You need the preaching of the word. You need to be around other people who love God. You need to be around praise and worship. You need to be around people who will uplift you and encourage you. The Bible says to provoke one another to good works. You can't provoke one another to good works if you're never around each other. And by the way, that word provoke is kind of a strange word. Anybody use the word provoke very often? The Bible also says in another scripture in, in the Proverbs, it says uh, that parents should not provoke their children to wrath. So that word provoke, when the Bible says, okay, I want you to provoke one another, talking about the church, provoke one another to good works. That word provoke is actually, we usually mean it 
in kind of a negative way. If I say I provoked my child and made him cry, that's a negative thing, isn't it? That's a bad thing. But to provoke one another to good works literally means that when we come together, sometimes we have to push one another. We have to prod one another. We have to, sometimes we have to be a little hard and and say, you know what? I'm going to worship the Lord whether you worship the Lord with me or not. I'm going to love you whether you love me or not. I'm going to do right even if nobody else does right. I'm going to provoke one another to good works. And when you do that, you influence people around you to do good. And so the Sabbath day is to be set apart. Everyone said set apart. We keep it holy. Sunday is an important day. Church should not be an afterthought. Church shouldn't be something that we just uh, casually do and we wake up and say, oh, maybe I'll go to church on Sunday. It's a set-apart day. It's a holy day. We're thinking about it all week long. We're planning for it. We're planning our lifestyle around the house of God, around the things of God. Uh, we plan our, our activities around the things of God. Why? Because it's a set-apart day. It's a holy day. It's not just any old time. Can I get an amen? And, and now last week we talked about how uh, not only did God... Uh, Give us an example in creation when he rested on the seventh day. But Jesus, God manifest in the flesh, the Messiah, he also kept the Sabbath and he did it as an example for us. And he told us that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, God gave us a rest day. He gave us a holy day and it is a holy day. God did that for us. He did it because he loves you. He did it because he wants you to be saved. He did it because he wants you to be strong. He wants you to walk in anointing and power and authority. And and I'll tell you, you may like this or you may not like this, but you can tell, you can measure someone's spiritual power, their spiritual maturity, and their spiritual strength. You can measure it. By how faithful they are to the house of God. You show me someone who does not make church a priority. And I'll show you someone who is not walking in power and authority in the Holy Ghost. You show me someone who makes the house of God a priority. Sets it apart. Dedicates it. Consecrates it unto God. And says, Lord, I'm doing this because I love you. And you have put this in my life as a strengthening to me. And I will show you someone who is going to be strong and powerful in the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen? And it just is. There, and I know people who have felt like that uh, it didn't matter. They could be a strong Christian. They could be strong without being faithful in their attendance to the house of God. And without fail, I have never seen an exception. You cannot be strong spiritually and neglect the house of God. This would be a great time to say amen. I know I'm stepping on some toes. But I, I have never seen an exception to that rule. Why? Because God instituted the church. And set apart a day for us to gather together. And he did it for us. He didn't do it for himself. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for us. To give us strength. And to give us power. And then last week we talked about the fifth commandment. Honor Thy father and thy mother. Hallelujah. Glory. Any parents feel the anointing? I just felt the anointing leap off the page. <laughs> so we don't have too many children here, so I don't need to preach on that. 
too much. But, but even as we grow, we still honor, even as an adult, we still honor our parents. Amen? I had someone ask me one time, you know, at what age can I stop honoring my parents? You know, I'm a parent now. And I said that, that you never stop being a, a, uh, someone's child. You never stop being uh, someone's son or daughter, regardless of age. We always honor the office of parenthood. And, uh, and we respect parents. We value parents. And, uh, and by the way, the family is under tremendous attack right now. Anybody see that in our culture? I'm telling you, the family has never been under attack like it's been under attack. I'm going to go off on a rabbit trail. I'm just going to do it, uh, and I realize I'm doing it. Some of you all don't think I don't know it when I'm going in a rabbit trail. I, I know I'm doing it, so rabbit trail alert, okay? But when they, when they legalized same-sex marriage here in the United States recently, one of the problems that Christians had with it is, is of course, that uh, we believe that homosexuality is a sin. The Bible's very clear about that. And, uh, but one of, the, one of the biggest problems with what's happening in our culture is that we're redefining things. We're taking definitions. For example, marriage. Marriage is defined as being uh, of sacred vow before God. But I'm giving you the Christian definition of marriage right now, okay? Are you ready? And some of you may not like this, but it is not a piece of paper from Georgia. Your little piece of paper from Georgia, or in my case, from Indiana, wherever your little piece of paper. How many of you uh, are, are, you're married and your whole marriage is better because you have a piece of paper from a state that a judge signed? Boy, that made your marriage better, didn't it? No. How, ma- how many are, are your, your whole marriage is is, is wonderful because you get, uh, you get a few dollars off your taxes, maybe. Is that why you got married? <laughs> if you did, I can show you a marriage that is not going to last long. If you got married for a piece of paper and a, and a tiny little tax break, maybe, whoo, God help you. So that's not what marriage is. Marriage is a sacred vow before God between one man and one woman. It doesn't matter what it doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says or anybody else says before God marriage is always look at your neighbor and say always between one man and one woman and your vow is not made because of a judge or a jury or culture your vow is between you and your spouse but it's not just between you and your spouse your vow was made to God At the same time. And so that's why we say they are sacred vows. They're not sacred because you're sacred. They're sacred because we made them before God. We made a promise. And the Bible, we just looked at it uh, here in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie. And so if I I say, okay, uh, I pledge my life to you before God. That's a sacred thing. So... Now we're redefining what marriage is and we're saying, okay, well, marriage now for the life of me, I can't understand 
If we can say that two men can get married and two women can get married, why can't three men get married or five women get married or three guys and eight girls? What's the difference? If we're redefine, if everything is up for grabs and everything is up for redefinition, why can't it just be anything that we want it to be? Now, now here's what I, the point that I'm trying to make. We're throwing definitions out the window. So I can say, I'm not standing on a floor, I'm standing on air. Why can't I say that? If I, can, if I can adjust definitions to make myself happy, why can't the, I just say, listen, I'm six foot tall and have all the hair I had when I was 21 years old. Why can't I say that? Because I'm just redefining myself. And who are you to tell me anything different? How dare you tell me I'm not six foot five? Why? Because definition, now listen, some of you are going to think this is crazy, but I'm still talking about the family. You think I've totally lost my train of thought, but I'm, I'm tying all of this together. Because when you destroy definitions, and when you destroy God-given definitions, you know, God ordained the church, but he ordained the family before he ordained the church. The family is the foundation of the church. Without families, you can't have a church. And so God builds his church on the foundation of the family. That's why the devil wants to destroy families. Because if he destroys families, he destroys churches. If he destroys churches, he destroys cities. If he destroys cities, he destroys nations. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus is about to come back. Because we're in a world that is so mixed up, they don't even know what bathroom to go to. Jesus is coming back. I know I'm worked up, but I'm going to tell you, Jesus is coming back. And you better be ready. Now, now here's what I'm getting to. And, and I've been reading about this, and, and I, I even wrote a little bit about this the other day, and I, I came under a lot of crit- criticism, but I stand by it. I'm not ashamed of this stance. It's not going to be long. You just mark my words. It's not a prophecy, but I'm just telling you, I can look at the trend of culture. It isn't going to be long. If they can change the definition of what marriage is, they can change the definition of parenthood. They can tell you, that's not your child. Just because you gave birth? No, 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 no. That's not your child. If we can change definitions, they can change the definition of what a father is, what a mother is. They can change it all, and they can destroy the family unit. I'm going to tell you, some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy, but you just keep watching. If society keeps going this direction, they'll be telling you all kinds of things. Who would have thought 20 years ago we'd be struggling to know what bathroom to use? And I'm going to tell you, 60 years ago, the church was saying, men, you better dress like men. Women, you better dress like women. You know why they were saying that? Because they knew if the world ever gets so mixed up, they won't even know what bathroom to go to. And there's people... 60 years ago that would have laughed the preacher out of the pulpit if he talked about it 60 years from now they're not going to know know which restroom to go to men you better dress like men women you better dress like women people would have laughed him out of town but look at where we are right now we're in a world that doesn't even know which end is up and which end is down we better get back to the 10 commandments we better get back to the word of god 
And we better strengthen our families. We better honor our parents. We better love our children. We better be faithful in our marriages. We ought to lift one another up. We ought to provoke one another to good work. Somebody ought to shout amen. I know we're teaching right now, but we have got to have a revival of apostolic men and women who value the family. And when you value your... Listen, if you want your kids to respect you, you better respect your parents. I know a lot of people who want their children to respect them and then they talk trash about their parents. Listen, your children will talk about you the way you talk about your parents. All right. Amen. Number six. Boy, it's going to really get lighthearted here already. Number six. Y'all ready? You ready for the spirit to just really get light? Thou shalt not kill. Exodus twenty thirteen. Now, that word kill could and is often translated murder. Everyone said murder. And so murder is a more narrow definition. Humanity is created in the image of God. We're going back to creation. Do you know, notice how many of these commandments go right back to creation? God instituted these things right at the beginning. So we're created in the image of God. So murder is an assault on the image of God. Human life is sacred. How many believe that? Scripture clearly teaches that all murder is killing, but not all killing is murder. Now, we don't have time to dive deeper into that, but you understand that murder and killing are two different things, right? Everybody understands that murder is strictly forbidden under any circumstances. Now, the Bible defines three types of unlawful killing, three kinds. Everyone said three. And it lays it out in Numbers chapter 35, verses 1 through 34. If you're marking your Bible, go there. Number one is murder. We sometimes call it homicide. Number two, negligent death. We sometimes call that manslaughter. And number three, and you need to pay close attention to this one. The church needs to be very, very clear. Look in my eyes. I'm going to be very clear today. I'm going to go on the record. And I look forward to all the hateful emails and all the mean-spirited responses from the podcast. I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. We cannot kill the unborn. No, sir. We call it abortion. The Bible calls it the unborn. We call it abortion today. And... uh, I I literally almost wept the other day when I read the statistic that since Roe versus Wade, almost 72 million children have been aborted. Defenseless children. That ought to break your heart. It is the largest genocide of all time, by the way. There there has been no dictator. There's been no potentate. no, No communist regime has ever killed more than the slaughter of innocent unborn children right here in the United States of America. That ought to tell you why we are living in a very dangerous generation. Yeah, it's a dangerous time. And by the way, God is not going to sit silently by forever. It is only the hand of mercy that is keeping our nation from judgment right now. And the church, many churches, not this church certainly, but many churches have begun equivocating on this issue. And I'm going to tell you, it just tells me the trumpet's about to sound. Because we have got to stand up 
for innocent lives that cannot speak for themselves. If the church will not speak up for the unborn, who will? It's heartbreaking. And so, thou shalt not kill. Absolutely not. And we need to be very clear on this issue. As Christians, keeping the sixth commandment means that we're not just to avoid murder at all costs, but we're obligated to help the needy, and we're obligated to take a stand for human life. So we oppose murder, abortion, euthanasia, genocide, starvation. And by the way, Christians are under one of the largest mass genocides around the world that has ever been known. But you don't hear much about it in the media, do you? But there are literally entire cities in the Middle East where they're going in and slaughtering Christians, children, mothers, elders. They're just slaughtering them. And the church needs to pray for them. The church needs to care about it. We can't just sit here with our video games and our cell phones and our, and our apps and our, and our new cars and our houses and start thinking about our retirement fund and, and uh, did I get a new gun? Did I get, will I get another vacation this year? All of those things are fine. I'm not against you having nice things. I hope you do. But if it causes you to forget about the plight of your fellow brothers and sisters who are literally dying for their faith and shame on you. We have got to be willing to say, I will care about my brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering for the sake of the gospel. We're to oppose starvation, poverty, disease, violence, and hatred. Everyone said hatred. We're to help the fatherless, the sick, the dying, the widow, the oppressed, the hungry, the helpless, the homeless, the unemployed, the orphan, the lost, and the hurting. Can I get an amen? All right, number seven, moving quickly here. Number seven is another command. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Exodus 20 and 14. I'd like us to read Ecclesiastes 9, 9. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life. Genesis 2.24, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Proverbs 18.22, whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Husbands, this would be a great time for you to say amen. Hallelujah. Glory. Good. Good. Y'all could do a little better. Let me help you. I'm going to give you one more chance. Amen. Favor of the Lord, find it a good thing. Y'all ought to be shouting right there. Woo, glory. Amen. I'm going to help y'all out. This, this will be good for you. And so you, uh, you find favor of the Lord, and it's a blessing. Now, we're talking about adultery here, and I'd like to give you five scriptural defenses against adultery. And uh, this is very important because we need to protect our marriages. We need to protect our marriages because we know, we've already talked about it, that Satan wants to destroy the family because if he destroys the family, he destroys the church. And so by protecting our marriage and our family and our children, we're also protecting the kingdom of God. So number one in our defense against adultery, run. Look at your neighbor and say, run. Don't walk. Don't don't walk. Don't meander. Run. Run from compromising situations. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means a lot of things. That means that uh, you ought to be very careful. You shouldn't just be alone with people. Okay? 
You should be careful who you talk to, your text messaging. You should be careful about media. You know, media presents all kinds of dangers today. You need to be careful about that. Run, run, run. Abstain from the very appearance of evil. I mean, if it looks like evil, you just get away from it. If it could even, if someone could just look at it and think maybe something's not right, you run from that. Don't say, well, no, 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 no. You just run from it. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't care. Run. Because you're protecting. Well, you don't understand. No, no, no. Run. Because you're protecting your marriage. Run. Okay. Anyone got the point? Run. (laughs) Number two, avoid bad influences. Now, listen, don't get yourself around people who who uh, hate marriage and hate your husband, hate your wife and and are constantly bad. Ever been around people who they just, boy, they just can't say anything good about marriage. Anyone ever know? Don't don't look at anybody, but you know people. Get away from those people. Get away from that stuff. You don't need that kind of negativity in your life. If you and your spouse are having a hard time, that's between you and your spouse and your pastor and God. You shouldn't run around talking to everybody about it and having everyone tell you what you ought to do and, and bad-mouthing them. And, and listen, there's, gonna be time, there's been lots of times where I've done things that probably annoyed my wife to death, but she doesn't run around telling everybody about it because she doesn't want to open herself up to someone's influence where they could say something negative. No, your marriage is a sacred vow between you and God. You ought to protect it. Protect it in your conversation. Protect it in the way that you approach it and view it and talk about it. It's very important. Number three, listen, you can always tell. You can always tell. When people get involved in influences where they're pushing them towards negative things in their marriage, run from those things. I like that word run today, don't I? But it's a good word. Number three, separate ourselves from bad influences. So we avoid them. And then when you realize that you've got an influence in your life that's pushing you to negative things in your marriage, just separate it. Don't just avoid it. Just cut it out. Just get it out of your, just say, okay, I'm not doing that. Getting it out of my life. Number four. Guys, you need to listen to this one especially. Discipline your mind. Discipline your mind. You need to get control of your thought life. You need to get control of of what you're thinking about on a daily basis. And you need to take every thought into captivity, casting down imaginations and everything that, that exalteth itself against God. Take those things and just get control of it. You say, preacher, I can't do that. You absolutely can do that. Get yourself in an altar. Get yourself full of the Holy Ghost. Get your mind in the Word of God. Get yourself in a prayer closet. Get yourself enveloped in the presence of God. You know why you can't get control of your thought life, sir? Because you do not keep yourself full of the Holy Ghost. Don't tell me. Hey, if you're not if you're not keeping yourself full of the anointing and full of the Word of God, then yes, you will be weak and powerless. But... When you get yourself full of the power of God, you are endued with power from on high. And you can take your thought life captive. Number five, develop a loving marriage. Now, of course, that's a very broad, general statement, but uh, let's just leave it. You need to work at having a loving marriage. Love is a choice. Love is a choice. You choose to love. Well, I don't feel love. You know why? You're not choosing love. Love is not just a feeling. That's, what, that's the great lie that our culture has taught us, that love is just a feeling. Love is not just a feeling. Feelings come and go. And sometimes, and sometimes there are moments 
in a marriage and in any relationship. Even parents know this. You love your children. But when your children are throwing, uh, throwing their food all over the house and drawing on the back seat of your leather chair in your car, I'm not speaking from experience, but if I were, I could tell you that when your kids melt their crayons in the back seat of your car, you don't feel love in that moment. You have to choose love. You choose it. And so love is a choice in every relationship and always choose love. Number eight, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. Everyone said thou shalt not steal. Exodus 20 and 15. So we should never steal from one another. And Malachi 3 and 8 tells us that we should not rob God either with our tithes and offerings. So not only would I not steal from you, but I will not steal from God either. Can I get an amen? Number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Who is your neighbor? Neighbor from the Hebrew word Rahab. Associates, friends, acquaintances, family, brother, spouse, companion, fellow, and literal neighbors. So listen carefully. The biblical use of the word neighbor includes basically everyone that you know. It does not mean the person living in the house next door to you. Everybody clear on that? It doesn't just, well, if I love the person living next door, then I'm okay. No, 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 no. I don't bear false witness against the person living next door. No, that's not what it means. The, the word neighbor in this sense means uh, people that you know, the people in your life, the people that you come into contact with, anyone that you come into contact with, that's your neighbor. And so we do not bear false witness. We don't lie. Can I get an amen? Number 10. And we're closing with this. Thou shalt not covet. Everyone said covet. That word covet means to have intense desire for something or you want something. or Sometimes it can almost feel like an addiction. Covetousness is at the root of almost every other possible sin. Think about it. Uh, if, you, if you steal something, you're probably stealing it because you coveted it. If you commit adultery... You're committing adultery because you coveted something. So covetousness is at the root of almost every other sin. You can stop most sins simply by stopping covetousness in your life first. If you'll deal with covetousness, you can stop a whole lot of other problems in your life. And so pray that out. Now, let me give you five symptoms of covetousness, and I'm moving at the speed of light. Here's how you might have covetousness. Here's how you might know. Number one, feelings of anxiety, depression, gnawing frustration for things we don't have. Regularly complaining because we don't have what other people have. Abusing credit or out of control spending habits. Hoarding what we own and refusing to be generous. Feeling like we could harm someone to get what we want. If you have any of those symptoms, you're probably fighting covetousness in your spirit, and you need to pray it out of your life. Pray it out of your life. Stand with me, and we're going to close with this. Philippians 4.11. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Could we read that out loud together? For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. 
For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Do you know what that verse is really saying? You know what God is really saying to us? God is really saying, I am all that you need. If you have Jesus, you don't need a Mercedes. You have everything that you need. If you have Jesus, you can find contentment because he is everything. He is my all and all. He means everything to this world, to me. And that's why I can sing that song, take this whole world, but give me Jesus because he is everything to me. Can we lift up our hands? Lord, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for these commandments, God, and for these weeks that we've been able to consider these thoughts together. I pray that you would help us to grow in grace and mercy and power and authority. Give us blessings and favor. Bless this second portion of our service. Bless our evangelist, God. Pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit, I pray. And I ask it all in the name of Jesus. Clap your hands to the Lord. Give him praise, somebody. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I want you to find about six people and tell them it's Pentecost Sunday. If you didn't come to praise him, don't hinder me. Just tell him. If you're not going to worship, get out of my way because I came to have church today.